Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We are aware that when we're on mission, when we're out doing what God calls us to do, He empowers us to accomplish the task. The power of God is evident in our lives. The power of God comes through the Holy Spirit's residence in our lives each and every day to fulfill that which He calls us to. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, demonstrates power, and as the Holy Spirit demonstrates His power, He uh, brings forth this fear, this sense of awe among His people, hopefully. And through that fear, Christ in His name can be magnified. Tonight, I want to talk to you just briefly about how fear can magnify the name of Christ. I want you to see it in this context, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. We continue to see Paul on mission as he is working. He's been in Ephesus. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He serves there as their pastor, basically, for some time. It says in verse 11, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was was, leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The power of God continued to be manifest in the life of these early apostles, specifically here in the life of Paul. He is teaching. He is preaching. And what God does is he works through Paul's life to demonstrate these miracles. Now, these miracles, which had validated, authenticated the work and the life of Jesus, now they are demonstrating this validity to Paul's ministry as well. Remember, there were so many days in which the itinerant teachers would come through and they would preach and they would share in their own way. And all Always, the people who received these teachers were trying to discern and examine if these individuals were truly authentic in their ministry, if they truly bore the mark of God. So what God did is he answered their questions. He worked through Paul to demonstrate these miracles so that all would know that this man was an ambassador of the one true God. It is amazing what it says. It says that unusual miracles were performed. In verse 12, it says, Handkerchiefs, aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. It is an amazing sight how God was demonstrating his work and his power through Paul and through Paul's ministry. Then notice in verse 13 again, Some of these itinerant Jewish 
exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So they come. They begin to see what Paul's doing, and they want to mimic what Paul is doing. It's amazing when you read this scripture, Satan often comes to mimic those things that are like Christ. He will come and he'll try to demonstrate some of the same power. Remember, Satan has never come up with a creative idea on his own. He simply takes the truth and he tries to distort it in his own way. And here, they are coming, they're trying to borrow upon the authority of Jesus. They're trying to borrow upon the authority of Paul and cast out these demons. And it says, it says that we cast, out, cast you out in the name of that one, Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Well, it says among these different ones, you had the seven sons of Siva, this perhaps a self-appointed Jewish chief priest, an individual that was trying to demonstrate his power and his authority and who had brought his sons into the business as well. And it says here they are trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus and look at what it says happened. Verse 15, the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Isn't that an incredible statement? I mean, here they are trying to cast out a demon, and the demon speaks to them. And the demon says, hold on just a moment. I know Jesus. Yeah, I know who that is. And I even know Jesus' emissary, this man named Paul. I know who he is. But now you, I don't think I I recognize your authority. I don't think I recognize your identity. Let me just tell you, folks, that should blow our minds when we read such an account that the demon would speak in such a way and the demon, as he spoke, recognizing the authority of Jesus and the authority of Paul, but not recognizing the authority and the identity of these seven. It says then that the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them. I mean, he obviously there is a is a is a difficult scene that you see here as he cast them out they run i bet they did it says they fled they got out and notice what it says in verse 17 this became known both to all jews and greeks dwelling in ephesus in other words this event started making its way the news of this event started making its way all over town you can imagine Facebook lit up. They were twitting and tweeting every which way. They were calling people on the phone. They were sending messages. Do you know what happened? Today, the seven sons of Siva were down trying to do their own business. They were trying to cast out demons. The demon turned on them, not recognizing their authority, and the demon just whipped them and sent them off. I guarantee you the news spread quickly. But get this. The scripture says that fear fell on them all. Again, Luke is giving is given to making understatements in scripture. Fear fell upon them all. You can imagine that the whole community the whole community was embraced and consumed in fear. 
in fear. Now, when we talk about fear, especially in this context, in the context that we see it scripturally described for us, fear is a state of awe or reverence. It is coming before this majestic power of God, recognizing His strength, recognizing His authority, and coming away with a sense of total all, total dependence, total fear of this God above. This was not the first time something like this had happened, obviously, in Scripture. It's not the first time it happened even in the book of Acts. Remember back Acts chapter 5? I think I preached it about one and a half years ago. You remember, some of you do. Acts chapter 5. We have this scene within the church, this one scene that is recorded by Luke. Now remember, everything that is recorded by Luke is recorded, recorded certainly by God's providence and by his wisdom. Because Luke could have written about all kinds of things that happened in the church's life, couldn't he? I mean, think of all that he covered and all the different places and all the different... He, he could have told us about all kinds of things, but he wrote selectively as the Holy Spirit inspired him. And he gives us these accounts, accounts like this, that demonstrate the fear of the Lord coming upon a community or even a church. In Acts chapter 5, he gives us this snapshot of the early life of the church. And he records this event uh, concerning two individuals, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias first, coming in and misrepresenting his generosity to the church. And what happens? As he is confronted by Peter, as Peter points out his lie, his deception of the Holy Spirit of God, Ananias falls dead. And the scripture says that the fear of the Lord came upon them. Then Sapphira. And what does it say after her death? The fear of the Lord came upon them. This all, I mean, this, again, early church life. And you see this happen, guess what? You're going to be telling the truth, aren't you? I mean, if you see God doing such things, you are going to have your attention to truthfulness and honesty and those things that promote integrity. You're going to do that because that's what all does. That's what the fear of the Lord does. You stand in awe of him. And here it says that the fear of the Lord, this, this divine respect, this divine reverence, it consumes the community. The disciples had experienced this when they had recognized the power of Jesus. For example, here they are out in the midst of a storm. They're, they're just sailing along. They're doing their thing. Storm comes. Jesus sleeping. They come. They wake him up. He basically says, uh, winds and waves be still. Peace. What happens? The winds and the waves, they cease to cause any kind of disturbance. And it says after that, after that, the disciples feared. Why? I mean, Jesus was on their side, right? They knew that. Jesus was there for them. Why would they experience fear? It says they experienced fear because they began to ask themselves, 
What kind of man is this that the winds and the waves obey? They had a sense of awe and respect and reverence because they recognized the power of, of Jesus. May I suggest to you that we in the church's life today need to experience those same type of moments and events where we are reminded of the greatness of the power of the authority of the otherness of the God we serve. We need moments where God will move in such a way that it will produce within us a godly fear, a godly awe, a godly respect. Now look, I am so thankful that we can call Christ our friend. I am so thankful that I can know him in an imminent way. But I think sometimes, especially in our churches today, we have lost just a measure of his transcendence and his greatness. When God moves in this powerful way where you know it's just him and you recognize how great he is sitting there upon his throne, how totally different he is than you and me and how he is the true king of kings and lord of lords, that when you recognize that, you respond with a sense of awe and fear. Fear can magnify the name of Christ. Here it says that the whole community was consumed with this type of reverence, respect, awe of the power of God. And it says the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Briefly, let me say this to you. This fear brought about what? This fear brought about confession. Confession. It says in verse 18, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. It's amazing how a new dose of reality or recognition of who God is and how great He is drives us to the point of where we confess our sins, we recognize who we are. Because look, this is it. When the disciples were there on that boat that day and they said, What man is this? that even the wind and the waves obey, they recognize who he is, but they also get this. They recognize who they are. They recognize they're sitting right by this powerful, divine being, and they are not that. They are anything but that. And thus, there is a fear. There is a confession that comes when we recognize that. Some of you who were in my life on mission study that was here, uh, we talked a little bit about that confession. Remember that night? Miss Francis, thank you. You're the only one that do, does, but at least. Confession. What does it mean? Well, literally, some of my friends who are scholars in the Greek language may take a little bit of exception with me, but I think I can push back to them just a little bit. If you look at the word for confession in the New Testament, the Greek word is homo legeo, homo legeo. And the only reason I tell you that is because you can recognize the meaning of it today. Logeo, which is, think about logos or logos. It means what? Word. Remember? 
In the beginning was the word, the logos, right? So legeo means to speak or to say. It's like the word. Homo, it means the same thing as. So get this together. If you were to put it together, to say the same thing as. You come to that place in your life where you confess your sin, you're wanting to say the same thing as God says about that sin. You want to say, God, I recognize who I am. Because think of this. You come to confess God your sin. God knows your sin, does he not? You are not doing God a favor by simply confessing your sin. What you are doing is recognizing in your life what that sin is and what it has done to you. And thus, it brings you into a closer relationship with who God is. At least that fellowship that you can have with God. Because you're saying the same thing. God, I come to you. This is my sin. I know what it is. I hate this sin just as you as a holy God would hate this sin. And I want to confess this to you. And you know what? The fear of God, when the power of God works in your life, when it is established in your life, it drives you to that point to say, I know that I have sinned. I know who I am. And I want to say the same thing about it as you, a holy God, would say. So a godly fear will produce confession. A godly fear will also produce conversion conversion notice what it says it said verse 19 also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all it says that they went back to their homes those individuals who were practicing magic they went back to their homes they got all their superstitious books and magical books and incantations and all of that and they brought it back and they said hey we're putting this on the fire we're going to burn this because we have recognized what true authority is and true power. It's not based upon these magical formulas that we thought we had established or these things that we had studied. The authority, of God, the authority and the power that we so desperately need, it comes from God. The God that you preach, Paul, yeah, that man, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the authority. And that's the power. So what we're going to do is come back and put all of our books upon the fire and we're going to burn it. Get this, get this. When God truly moves in our lives in a reverential fear to bring us into that state of all, what he is going to do is to allow us to sense a spirit of conversion to take over in our lives. In other words, we will be transformed. He loves us so much that he is not willing for, to leave us right where we are. What he wants to do through a holy fear, through a godly fear, is to change our lives, our actions, and our activities. Look, if you can walk an aisle and accept Jesus as your Savior and go away and never have anything make a difference, then something is wrong. If you can come and you can simply pray a prayer and walk out and there is no change, there is no transformation in your attitudes, in your heart, in your life, in your activities... Something is desperately wrong. Because when, when God invades the heart and life, when the Spirit comes in to produce this awe within you, it will change you. And you know what? There will be some things that you will notice as you grow in Him. Some things you will notice that are not godly, they are not moral, they are not pleasing to Him. And you know what? By the power of Christ, you will dismiss those things from your life. You'll make that decision. Here, they burned 
their books. They turned from their superstitious ways and they turned to the one true God. And you know what? It cost them. I don't know if you caught this from Luke, but the Luke who, uh, here that writes that is the great recorder of all things and giving us this historical, accurate account of the gospel, he says, all of these books, they totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. In other words, it cost them something. But when we come to God once again, and we are truly converted, and we are truly transformed, we are willing to give up anything and everything that would stand in the way of our relationship with God. So godly fear, it produces, it brings about confession and conversion. And you got to love this part. It brings about conquest. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. If you look at a survey of the book of Acts, if you just take the general outline of it, just read through it, uh, you're not trying to necessarily go through verse by verse of exposition. You're just kind of looking at the overall theme of Acts and what's going on in the book of Acts. You will note that Dr. Luke will make these different summary statements. He'll get to a certain point in his book as he's inspired by the Spirit. He'll get certain points and he'll say, hey, by the way, the Word of God, it continued to go forth. Or the Word of God, the gospel was advancing. Or the church was multiplying. These summary statements. Here, a summary statement. The Word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, I know it's been some weeks since we looked at the book of Acts. But tell me you remember the theme of the book. Tell me you do. I hope you do. I've been trying to teach it to my New Testament class on Monday mornings over at North Monroe. I told them that you all knew it. They should learn it for test. What's the theme? The triumph of the gospel over every barrier. That's what it's about. The triumph of the gospel over every barrier. Whatever it came up against geographical, ethnic, whether it was from the government or whether it was from within, whatever it was, the gospel kept overcoming all of those things to demonstrate its power and the power of its God. And here in this place, even when you have these individuals who would threaten the integrity of God's witness, those individuals who would come in and play the charlatans, those individuals who would come in and try to reap business reward, through the gospel. What God does is he says, no, I'll just take care of that and I'll deal with those individuals because guess what? The word of the Lord is going to continue to multiply. The gospel is going to keep going forth and it's not going to be, it's not going to be stopped by a bunch of fraudulent individuals who try to imitate the power of God. The gospel keeps going. And through a godly fear, the conquest continues. Even as we read in the next few chapters, going all the way to Rome. May we pray in our lives that God would move in such a way. May we pray in our lives that God would speak to His church, His churches, that he would demonstrate such power 
that it would bring us again into that attitude of reverence, respect, and awe of the God who sits upon the throne. Because through that fear, the name of Christ can be magnified. The name of Christ can be magnified through confession and conversion and through conquest. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name tonight. And we believe here in this place that you have the same power today as you did in the time of Paul. We believe today that you are the same God of authority that you were in the time of Paul. We believe that your gospel, your good news, that it will continue to triumph no matter what comes against it. Father, what we pray is that you would demonstrate your awesome power in our midst and in the midst of your churches. I pray that you would call us back to have these moments of awesome reflection upon who you are and consequently who we are. God, speak to us tonight in this place. May it be a moment where we bow before you once again, confessing our sins, seeking the transformation of the Spirit in our lives, and Lord, taking your gospel forward. We pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight?